All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 36 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli coming to you from the woodjerseys.com studio. Of course, you see our Boston Bruins wood jersey studio. It's fantastic. The jersey, you can get it. And also Father's Day is coming up ladies and gentlemen. So uh, you know what dad wants, you know, his favorite team, go to woodjerseys.com. You can use the promo code DFO dad, 15 DFO dad, 15, and that will get you uh, 15 bucks off your order. So you want to do it now. If it can arrive in time for father's day, it's from wood jerseys, Frank, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm uh, been a little on a little bit of a golf bender the last couple of weeks. Really? Oh, yeah. Look at you. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's all right. How's the golf game? What are you shooting? Not, not well. Uh, 36 holes yesterday with the boys. We played the last 18 as an eight, a group of eight, which was really kind of fun. So uh, we did it on a short par three course too, which was even more fun. Okay. Well, that's all right. Yeah. Fun. Hey, you know what? Golf to me is more about the fun than the, is the score, unless you're like it's, a legit golfer. It's all my vices, you know, in, in one four hour setting, you know, a little bit of booze, some gambling and, you know, outdoors. So all that uh, wrapped up into one tidy four hour round. Nice. Well, uh, the Colorado avalanche will be joining you on the golf course as uh, they are knocked what out. What a segue. 
Ooh, there you go. Nice. Uh, not my first rodeo. Uh, they win the first two games of the series. Then they lose four straight. And, and you, you brought up the greatest stat. I've been researching ever since you mentioned it, the curse of sweeping a series and then facing a team who took seven games to win their series continues. It's 22 years since a team, the last team to do it was the Dallas stars. Uh, when they swept the orders and then won in the next round. But since then, teams can't win. You don't want to sweep. That's why Montreal, guess what? They have a chance now against Vegas, Frank, because Vegas didn't need seven games to beat Colorado. Unreal, isn't it? It's what is it, 0 and 7 now in the last yeah. 20 years? Yeah. 0 and 7. Team that's 6. 0 and 6. 0 and 6 in the last 22. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's incredible. Um, I'm still blown away a little bit by Colorado. I mean, look, if you had told me that they'd lose this series to the Vegas Golden Knights, I wouldn't be that shocked because they were tied in points in the regular season and the President's Trophy came down to the final day. But the way they lost, losing four straight, uh, I just, I did not see that coming. No, I'm a little surprised, although Vegas, you know, Vegas really dominated game two and lost. So, you know, I know when they were coming home, Vegas was pretty confident. Like I said at the start of the series, my one major concern about Colorado was, and it's something that, that it's not a knock on the individual group because they're all good players, but inexperience on your blue line in the playoffs, historically, you don't win with it. And Colorado's defense core averaged 181 games. And that's what Patrick Nemeth, who was basically their number five or six, and he's played the most. Mm -hmm. But if you look at their top four, Frank, their top four defensemen, who are all very good, but here's the thing. Their top four defense averaged uh, six and a half feet and 191 pounds. Montreal's top four is going to average six foot three and a half and 219 pounds like that. You got Petrie and you got Weber and you got Chariot and you got Edmondson. And it's just, I, I do believe in the playoffs size on the blue line matters more than the regular season because the game's just, it's more of a small battle zone game. And, and mm -hmm. I thought Gerard got exposed in that series. I think on a cup winning team, he's in your third pair. Hmm. On a, oh, I mean, he's a damn good defenseman. And yeah, I that's, always, It's not a, I always hate, I hate, you know, we, we had Craig button on, on Monday and we talk about this all the time scouting by tape measure. I hate writing teams or players off by tape measure as well, because, you know, there's been plenty of teams that I think have won with a guy like Gerard mixed into their top four, you know, maybe there's something to that um, in terms of the size, you know, 30 pounds to me is really, you know, what speaks more loudly to me when you size up those two teams than the actual three inch average difference. But to me, um, I, and maybe that's why, you know, as I've, as I'm thinking about the series and how it played out with Vegas blowing Colorado's doors off at even strength, maybe that's a big part of it. Yeah. Well, Frank, it's funny. I have a whole article that will be coming out that you can read. It should be ready by Monday. It goes back, uh, since 2010 it has all the Stanley cup winners and, uh, you know, what? some can get away. Like you had, you know, you've had guys like Tori Krug, who was very young, but they didn't win at that point, but mm -hmm. you've, you've had some teams with a smaller defenseman, but rarely in their top four, right? Rarely. And if he's small, he might be a guy who's five ten, but he's 200 pounds. When you're five ten and 170 pounds, mm -hmm. that's that's not tape measure. That's just that's just the truth. And when when you go in battle against, especially Vegas, they got some huge forwards. So you can be as skilled as them, 
and you're in a battle now and suddenly the guy's 205 pounds and you're 170, unless you're a freakishly strong human, you're, you're just at a physical disadvantage. It's just physics. Yeah. It, big people beat up little people. It's a fact of life. I mean, um, but you know, when you look at this series, by the way, you mentioned Tori Krug. Do you think Doug Armstrong had a little regret watching Alex Petrangelo take over that series in round two? <laughs> oh, hey. I mean, Petrangelo was the best defenseman in the series, which says a lot because Kale McCarr played in it and he just found a way to take over. Uh, He was involved. I mean, look at game six, Um, you know, in the mix at both ends, you know, he, he just, Alex Petrangelo doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And, and I think that you, you watch him play is worth every penny. That's exactly what Kelly McCrimmon paid for. Hey, I'll give Vegas a lot of credit. Like they, they found, they found this winning mix right from the get go. And they, they obviously are, they don't rest on their laurels. Uh, it's going to be tough because I still think Tampa Bay is the best team left. I, I don't know yeah. because, you know, I, I talked about Montreal size and Vegas's size and all the teams that are remaining in the playoffs, they all have big defense cores and they all have skill defense cores, but I just think Tampa Bay has this as the most skill on their uh, blue line. And then they've got a power play at 41%. So, but Vegas, Montreal, like I look at the Habs and I, you know, I went back through it. The Montreal Canadiens were the best team five on five, Frank in the NHL until they had their COVID outbreak. And then they had, then they had to condense their schedule. And when they had to play 24 games in the final 40, whatever it was two or three days Mm -hmm. of the season, their numbers fell off. And I wonder how much of that was due to that condensed schedule. I'm not, I would still pick Vegas to win this series, mm-hmm. but Carey Price is better than Grubauer and Montreal's defense is way more experienced, way bigger. And I think just as skilled as Colorado, they're going to give Vegas a test. Like I don't, some people are saying Vegas in four easily. I don't see that at all. I no. think Montreal is going to give them a run. Yeah. I don't, I don't see a, a short series by any means. Um, I think Montreal has a puncher's chance for a lot of the reasons you mentioned and, and look at their top four so much of it, though, is going to hinge on Petrie and how healthy he is. I mean, yeah. that's really the big test. You, you look at that injury, um, you know, skating by and getting your finger caught in the photo hole in the glass. Like, that's oh. just ugly. It's gruesome. There's no way to, to make that better real quick. And, and that affects, depending on which hand it is, so much of what you do defensively. Um, you know, so he's, you know, that team looks different without Jeff Petrie on the ice. And it's not just how efficiently he moves the puck and how he's involved offensively. He's a, he's a real solid defender in his own end too. And so all of a sudden, if you have to elevate a guy into that top four and, and, you know, they, one of the real adjustments that Montreal made in these playoffs that was so strong from their coaching staff and Dominic Ducharme was really solely going to that top four play your, your last pair, your third pair, as little as you can, can get away with. And sometimes, you know, you get in these deep overtime games and things like that, you're going to be exposed a little bit more, but they were able to, to ride uh, that top four with Edmondson, Sherratt, Petrie and Weber, you know, for a lot of the game. And while they were doing it, the, the minutes didn't get out of hand. They were like oh. low twenties, mid twenties, which is Shea Weber can play that in his sleep. Yeah, I was looking at it because I thought a lot of people, oh, they're overplaying their guys. Well, no. not really. And you can go back to lots of teams, Frank, as I was compiling my my upcoming article that there's a lot of teams, you know, Chicago won the cup heavily on, on their top four defense. And there, there's been other teams that have done it as well. You know, St. Louis really ran their top four. And I remember hey, going not? back to Chicago. You mentioned 2010, you know, when I was covering the Flyers that year, I remember the Flyers fifth and sixth defenseman oh, like Brian. 
Ryan Parent would play two minutes a night. Yeah. Yeah, him and Lucas Krychek. They'd be. Yeah. I was looking at them, and uh, and it was funny because I was looking at Philly when I was compiling this. And I said, "Man, if Philly might have had one other defenseman, you wonder if maybe that's a difference." But then, if you would have played your fifth defenseman, even if he plays more minutes, is he as effective as Chris Pronger in his minutes? Probably not. So no. that's uh, you know, it just it shows you. And the thing is, going back to that, when they won in 2010, Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook each had 400 regular season games under their belt before they won. And that's where I just believe like Jeff Petrie is a prime example. You look at Jeff Petrie now and you look at Jeff Petrie when he's 26, even at 25 and 26, he wasn't the player he is now. It just close. experience adds so much. And that's why like, look at Kale McCarr in a few years. Like he's really good now. He's just, he's only going to get better. And, and same with Graves and, and Devin Taves. And I like what Colorado has. It's just, they really miss Eric Johnson. I think that's that's the injury that I talked about before the playoffs, mm-hmm. and it sucks for teams at, at key times. That's a huge injury if he's back healthy. But I, I got to toss this one out to you, Frank. If I'm the Colorado Avalanche, I would strongly consider trading Gerard because I think he gives you he's going to get you some in return. See, because get up, you something really good in return. He's a really and, well-regarded player. And they're going to lose a guy anyway in the expansion draft. Right, they're going to lose someone. So you know what? Uh, why not? They've why got lose? a lot of free agents. Yeah, but their defense—they probably got to protect four defensemen because they got so many good ones. Mm-hmm. Right now, let me ask you this: What would you make of Jared Bednar, his adjustments throughout the series, and also the comments after Game Three? Still, don't really sit right with me. Was that Jared Bednar being honest, or was that a, a little peek behind the curtain? That's a good question. Um. Uh, Bedner in my interactions with him, I've always felt like he's a pretty honest, straight up guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, I, I don't know, like, and what a coach says publicly sometimes is all gamesmanship. Right. And, and but that's what I'm gonna, asking. Was yeah. it when he said to, he said, this game tonight was a waste of time. And then said, look at our play, our top players against their top players. It's not even close. Like, is that an honest assessment? And is it fair? And if it is, what, what does he, what does he win by saying that? Like to be that critical of your McKinnons, your McCars, uh, that whole group, Landis Cogs, Rantanens, like what, what do you gain by that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would think a coach knows his group and knows maybe when they need a button pushed. Mm. Right. And, and so, because I, I know that, you know, people said, hey, you know, some people said Colorado's depth has to go up, but the truth, the truth is usually. That team you know, is as deep as anyone. Yeah. And usually though your team like when McKinnon goes three games without a point, it's hard to win, right? He doesn't need to run all your offense, but if he doesn't get on the score sheet in three right. consecutive games, I'm like that. And that's going to be the same story. Uh, like how many games did Crosby go without a point? Did he ever go three in a row without a point? Like I remember Jonathan Taves, the one year in Chicago, he had one goal in the first 20 playoff games and they were a deep team. They had won in 2010, but then he, you know, he scored twice in the Stanley cup final. Right. But they had Patrick Kane and they had Hosa and they had lots of other guys. And so, you know, the other thing is the Nazem Kadri. We said this before, man. Nazem Kadri. That Kadri's, was critical. If he's in that series. I'm not saying they automatically win, but maybe it's seven games. Maybe, maybe that's a difference maker. And he, well, he's got to learn like that, man, if, if I'm Nathan McKinnon and, and I love McKinnon's honesty. Hey, I've been in the league nine years. And I'm one shit. Like, you know what? You're, you're Nathan McKinnon. You're probably having a, Hey, Codger, you know what? You're not the only guy who, who can get the, who can let their emotions get the best of them. You got to mm-hmm. figure out how to control it. 
Yeah, and a hundred percent. Look, he would have been eligible for Game Seven. And you wonder if they get there, how different that would be. Um, you know, you look back to Game Six; they largely controlled play for the first half of the game, and they're, yep. they end up going in the second intermission, trailing. I mean, this team lost three straight one time all year, never four straight, and they lose four straight to go out. You know, for as good as this roster has been, they should have accomplished a lot more than they have, and. You know, I, I, I don't think it's anywhere close to blowing it up, but I think it's no. you got to ask some critical questions. Um, Jared Bednar, I think there's got to be lots of question marks, and he said it after the game. He said, if there's criticism, I hope it's on me, and people are pointing the finger at me, but something, something needs to look a little different, I think, when they come back next year because, you know, this is now a, a number of years. Last year you could think back and say, well, they lost and they were on their third goalie, and, you, you know, that's a built-in, you know, this, in this case, Grubauer played fantastic the entire year through. No hiccups, no issues whatsoever. Take that out of the mix. You know, why didn't this team get it done? Uh, well, Vegas is a pretty good team, too. But I'll say uh, this. That, I'm not taking anything yeah. away from Vegas because Vegas played fantastic. I'm just – something needs to be different in Colorado. Well, they got they got to add some experience on the blue line. And, and I, if I'm Colorado, I'm doing two things that Tampa Bay did. I'm not firing the coach because remember, there was a few years in 2000. Remember when Tampa Bay went to the cup final conference final, then they missed the playoffs and there's like, yep. oh, we got to fire John Cooper. And they stuck with him smartly. And I expect Joe Sackick to do the same with Bednar. I like him as a coach. I would not fire him at all, but I would. Tweet- is he is he as good as John Cooper, though? Like that, I think, I think John Cooper's in a little bit of a different class. I know they were saying, oh, John Cooper hasn't gotten it done, but no, look at his regular season success. I mean, Bednar's had some, yeah. he also had some really tough years uh, as that team was getting its act together. I, I don't, I just don't know about Jared Bednar and not meaning I don't know him. I just, I'm, I don't have the same decisiveness in terms of is, you know, I know John Cooper's a good coach is Jared Bednar in that same class. Yeah. I, I, I think, well, he hasn't won a cup, so he's not in the same class yet. But when I look at his trajectory, I, I think he's a really good coach. I wouldn't be firing him if I was them. I, and the other thing, they just, they're going to tweak a little bit. Um, they just need a, a little bit more skills. Like they've got the skill. I wouldn't, like, I know I mentioned Gerard, but moving Gerard isn't a, isn't a knock. It's just, it's it's retooling your team better. You, you They just have too much inexperience in their top four. And it's, it's just how it is. Who's your, who's your prototype? Like not saying name a player, but if you were to move Gerard, who's your prototypical player stylistically to plug in there? It's a good question. I, you know what they, obviously you want to have a guy who's got some skill. I'm not moving him for a tomato can, right? I'm I'm not not just a guy who's six foot two and can't play, but you know, cause a lot of guys had size and so not Griffin Reinhardt. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not pulling a Peter Shirelli. I'll tell you that right now. Like that's come on now, but I look at, you know, you're, you're probably like Sam Gerard is a very good puck mover. But to me, he's limited because he plays with a mini stick. Like, I'm sorry. I've, I've, the mini stick. I just, you really, because size and space is such a vital thing in the playoffs. And when you're five foot 10 and other guys are six foot two or three, you just naturally cover up less space. But then you play with that mini stick. Well, now you even have left sp- less space around guys. And that's just, you know what? I'm, and that's, I'm not, I don't want to. Jason is a big size matters guy. Yeah, well, I, in the playoffs, Frank, hey, wait till you read the article. I know that it's, and it's not just size, it's skilled size, right? Because it's, I'm not trading, I'm not going to trade him and get some, you know, no offense, like a, a guy like Zach Bogosian, who's a big guy who can move, but doesn't bring you a lot of skill, right? But look at Cernak, look at Sergachev, right? Those guys are six foot three. 
And they is can there skate. a way to just fill out the needs that you're talking about without having to trade a guy like him? Like, couldn't you just, you know, if, well, maybe you could put him in your third pair. And if Eric Johnson's healthy, then yes, because Eric Johnson and Graves and Taves and Makar in your top four. Well, you know what? There you go. And like I've said, if Sam Girard on a, I think Sam Girard can really help your team in the right slot five on five. Right. And plus he just more experience will help him. Right. Like Brian Rafalski was an excellent defender and won Stanley cups as a small guy in your top four, it mm-hmm. can happen. But when you have the lack of experience and the lack of size and weight, because it's not just height, it's everything. It's strength. When mm-hmm. you're five ten and you're one seventy, Frank, you just it's it's simple physics, man. Like unless the guy is a is a freak of nature in the gym, he's just not as strong as guys who are six foot two and two hundred and ten pounds. You're right. Yeah. So it's not a knock, and that's you know Joe Saka. He'll figure it out. I think he's been a really good general manager, and I think you know Colorado is. I think they're on the trajectory of Tampa Bay. Like look at how good Tampa was for many years before they won. And they had some devastating losses, right? Like this four game sweep to, to uh, Columbus after 128 point season. So I, if I'm Colorado, I'm not making massive moves, but I look I at their defense from 2015 when they lost in the cup final. And then you look at their defense when they won in 2020, Frank, the only guy left over was Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see a little bit more of Washington in them. President's trophy here. Can't get out of the second round star player, McKinnon, Ovechkin, you know, I never, I've never questioned McKinnon's, you know, work ethic or anything like he's got all the goods. He brings it all to the table. Yeah. I mean, I is ranting in there. I don't know, Backstrom or whoever it is. I mean, it was good, man. Yeah. They, they've got a lot of the pieces required. It's it's almost like you just need to get as many kicks at the can as you can get. It's true. And, 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 you and, need that, and that's going to be putting together a lot of that salary cap puzzle too, because you've got a lot of free agents and they've had the luxury of a lot of cap space over the last number of years. This is where the rubber meets the road in terms of, um, you know, mapping all of that out. Well, they still have two great years at a massive advantage because Nate McKinnon's only at 6.3 million for two more years. So I, I don't think salary cap will be a, you know, it'll be a hindrance a little bit. They were right up against it this year. Yeah. And so, but that's an advantage because it allows you to, to build a good team. And so maybe they just need to put someone on LTIR and bring him back for game one of the playoffs like Tampa Bay did. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes, Frank. I was speaking of Tampa Bay, Brian Englong uh, is going to join us long time uh, an NHL analyst, of course, a uh, multiple Stanley Cup winner with the Montreal Canadiens under Scotty Bowman for many years. So we'll talk to Brian about uh, his NHL career as well as the playoffs. But quickly, give me your thoughts on the New York Islanders. I was wrong. The Islanders beat Boston and uh, beat him rather handedly. What Uh, happened to your boy, Taylor Hall? Where'd he go? Geez, hey, him and Krejci. Well, lots of guys, man. The Islanders, they just... They can just suck the life out of you. They, yeah. they are a four-line team, but I'm not sure who they're like. Pajot is their leading scorer right now, right? Yep. Uh, Barzell's really balanced. Sixth on their team. So my question is, as balanced as they are, they don't have the elite guys, and that's why I can't see them beating Tampa. What do you think? I'm with you. I think they're going to make life difficult for Tampa, but it's probably going to play out. And that's why I'm really curious to ask Brian Engblom this, you know, how – or what they may have been able to learn from facing that team in the playoffs in the same stage last year. Yeah. Well, let's get to him. Our next guest is the pride of Winnipeg, Manitoba. His name is etched on the Stanley cup three times as a member of the Montreal Canadians. And after playing 600 plus NHL regular season games, 
You've seen him all over your TV over the last couple decades. Brian Engblom joins us on the DFO Rundown. Thanks a lot for, for coming on. Thanks for having me. I do have to correct you about something, though. I'm only officially on the cup twice. I played on three teams, but I didn't qualify to get my name on that first year. They're pretty strict about that stuff. You know, it's interesting you said that because I was looking at the hockey reference designation and I was wondering about that. I saw the first year, I think you played in two playoff games. So you didn't yeah. get in one game in the final, right? Right. That's correct. And that, that was, uh, that was it. I mean, I don't know what the rules are now. They're probably basically the same, but I know it's been tough over the years when we won in 79, Cam Connor had been with us all year, but for whatever reason, they said he wasn't going to qualify to go on the cup. And I remember Bob Ganey was our rep and we had a meeting without Cam in the room. And he said, look, this is what they're saying. They're, they're not going to put Cam's name on the cup. He said, we want to tell them to go, you know, where, and unless you put his name on, don't put the rest. We went, absolutely. We took a vote. Everybody said, we don't need a vote. Yeah. Tell them that they put, they put cams on. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting. They have, um, they've been a lot more lenient in terms of the petitions that teams make. I actually did something on yeah. this a couple of years ago when St. Louis won Michael Delzato was a trade deadline acquisition. He played seven regular season games and that didn't get in any playoff games and they still got his name on there. So I think it's neat to be, to be more inclusive when you can. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially when you're, you know, with the team all year, as Cam was, he was healthy scratch a lot. He scored a big goal for us in that Toronto series. Uh, I can't remember if it was a time goal. I think it was the winning goal in like game three. All I remember is Palmateer coming out of the net about 20 feet like he always did. Cam actually missed his move a little bit and it went five hole and slid underneath him and Cam hadn't played and this was like double overtime. I don't think he played since the second period. And he, you know, Scotty Bowman throws him out there on a hunch and he scores a, a big time goal. So, you know, it's the way it goes. You mentioned Scotty Bowman, Brian. So you come into the NHL, you know, you're in, you know, at that time and, and still one of the greatest franchises in NHL history, you know, that they, they were in the middle of their, you know, winning Stanley cups. How intimidating was it to not only come in there, but also Scotty Bowman, who, who wasn't necessarily the, uh, the warm fuzzy type coach at that point. <laughs> yeah he was not the warm fuzzy type that's for sure what did what did steve shut say in one of dick, dick Irvin's books uh shuddy said well we hated him for 364 days a year and the last day we got our rings uh so that pretty much described it and and shut was there for i think five if not six cups so he, he had a pretty good handle on it uh, yeah, I spent the first two years in the American League. We won the Calder Cup both those years while, they, while the Canadians are winning the Stanley Cup. There was no room. Um, they had a packed house. They had, you know, eight NHL defensemen, and I think probably you could say nine. Chartres was playing forward, but he was actually a defenseman in junior, and when he was drafted, there, there, was, there was no room. So, yeah, was it intimidating? Yeah, you bet it was. Um, and, you know, all the big names. Uh, there are 10 guys in the Hall of Fame plus Bowman. So that pretty much tells you it's kind of a tough nut to crack there. Um, and Scotty, Scotty had no intention of being anybody's friend. That's that's for sure. I'm sure he would tell you the same thing. Uh, brilliant mind. He knew what everybody was doing, not only on our team, but on the other team. He knew what the Zamboni driver was doing. He knew everything was happening. And in the forum, um, pretty amazing stuff. So he, 
he was excellent at you know at all the line matchups and and all that kind of stuff as well too. But it was it was not fun. Um, you know, we use that expression in the playoffs. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Well, Scotty made sure we were uncomfortable all the time. Even that team that what was it, 76, 77, they lost eight games all year. I think that was the year. Eight games all year. Yeah, he made he managed to make it uncomfortable for those guys pretty much most of the year. And that's a big reason why when when things get tough in the playoffs after a year like that, they still won. You know, it's it's very interesting that the psychology factor and maybe sometimes, you know, with, with so much analytics, which I, I think are information that helps us that you kind of overlook the psychology of it, Brian. And so you come in there, you you play two games, but you kind of got to watch and observe. Did that observing, you know, did that help you just to say, OK, like this is what I'm seeing? And was was there a few things when you say, like, what would he do to make guys uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. I mean, it. I think the flu went through. The couple of guys got the flu, and somebody else was hurt. I think gave a point, so that's why I got called up. And that was the I had played I think two preseason games my second year, not a sniff my first year pro, right to Halifax. Uh, the second year um, I played I think two preseason, then right to Halifax, and then I get called up in the playoffs. So it was the first real game. So I was more than a little nervous. Uh, one was in St. Louis. That was the first one. And um, it was just a matter of Scotty knew if the team was really playing well or not. That the gap between them and the bottom teams, especially the Washingtons and the Pittsburghs, was pretty darn big. They weren't very good. So, and the, and the newspapers kind of helped that too, because if you won three to two against Washington, you just got scolded in the papers like crazy. Like, really? You only beat those guys three to two? What is wrong with you? And in those days, it was all about winning the cup. Making the playoffs? Are you kidding? I mean, that wasn't even talked about. You had to win the cup. That's what those guys were up against. So they were they were used to the pressure. Scotty was used to the pressure, and he knew when to back off, certainly. But he also knew – I remember – the, the one year, the years all run together after a while, but there was a long gap uh, in between series and might even have been a bye. You used to get a bye, I think, if you were first overall. But at any rate, there was like eight or nine days uh, before the next series. And we scrimmaged a lot back in the day. And guys are getting really antsy, right? And, of course, he's crapping, cracking the whip and, and yelling and screaming if things aren't done right. And I remember uh, there was a fight. It was Pete Mahovlich and Mario Tromblet got into it. And Scotty let it go just long enough before somebody got hurt. And that was kind of like, okay, good. We're on edge here. Let's go. Hmm. I was just thinking, of, you know, as you're telling these stories, you know, obviously so many things have changed. And, and I wanted to ask you about, you know, that psychology still being a really big part of it. And I think John Cooper is sort of the perfect, you know, in your, in your job with uh, Bally Sports as an analyst, seeing the lightning up close so often, um, you're seeing that firsthand at how he's really able to push. He's not really pushing buttons, John Cooper, but he's found a way, he, he finds what makes everyone tick. And that's such an important part of a team, but he's also made it a real family atmosphere, I think, in, in watching that group in Tampa. Is he sort of the... Mod, model modern day coach in terms of how you handle that psychology part of it? 
I think so. I think his record speaks for itself. He's won at every level that he's been at. North American Junior League, he won. He won He won the Calder Cup in the American League. Now he's won the Cup at the NHL. Uh, that's a lot of experience. He, he knows his players really well, and that's always the secret. He knows what makes him tick. Um, coaching, I think, certainly has changed. You, you can't yell and scream at guys like coaches did on a regular basis, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, that's changed. The players won't put up with that. So you have to communicate. Doesn't mean they don't get yelled at sometimes. Oh, hell yeah. And I think that that won't change. I mean, top, top shelf athletes, they, they want instruction and they, they want accountability from themselves and certainly from their teammates. And if they see somebody else getting it, then they have to expect it when it's coming at them. So I think Coop certainly is the, the modern day coach in that respect because he knows how to talk to them. It's a different process. And the process is way more complicated now, way more. The systems, the way they practice, uh, the drills that they have to follow. You have to do this, then this, then this, then this. And if you don't do it right, you blow the whistle, and that's when they start yelling at the group, right? Before we, We've said, some of us, I play golf with Steve Schott and Larry Robinson and Lamar and some of those guys every once in a while. They're all down in Sarasota, not too far away. And so we laugh sometimes saying that, you know, some, some guys from our era for sure, maybe on our own team, would have trouble playing now just because trying to follow the system, you know, just it's systems weren't that complicated. We have certain rules about, you know, getting the puck in deep, which doesn't change now. You know, if you got a one nothing lead and there's uh, five, 10 minutes to go, whatever, don't start taking chances. You get the puck deep, you know how to shut it down. That part's never changed. And I think that that's still the hardest lesson to learn for every team to becoming a winning team is how do you shut it down when you have the lead? How much is too much offense? How much is too much sitting back? It doesn't mean just because you're shutting it down that you're sitting back waiting for them to overrun you and you hope like hell that you got an answer. That there's a system and there's a way to do it. And those that team, those teams were really good at it. Look at look at the Islanders. The Islanders were one of the great teams of all time. 19 straight playoff victories unreal going to the finals as well as four cups in a row that is incredible that core group uh knew how to win end of story that's pretty amazing stuff well and this year's core islander team as different as they are they know how to win you know they've played their system and executed speaking of system you know as well as any team in the league to me brian this is where the playoffs get really interesting not to say that the first two rounds weren't but it's all been in inner division. All, that's all these teams have seen all season long. And now you finally get to size yourself up. Can anything, given the fact that these two teams are meeting in round three for the second year in a row in less than a calendar year, do you think anything can be gleaned from that? Or do you think that, you know, there's going to be a feeling out process here to start? I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in feel like I, I still look at the game that way. I, I always wanted to know what, it, you know, what does it feel like to play against those guys? So in the first two, I was thinking about this before the playoffs started, the first two rounds were going to be really tough because there are no secrets. I mean, they knew what Barkoff and Huberdo felt like and, and what their power play felt like and, and vice versa. The kicker though, was they didn't have a feel for Kuchwa because Cooch hadn't played all year and Cooch really burned them, especially in the power play in the first couple of games. Then they got a handle on it and they did a better job. 
against the power play, but you get a, a big leg up when you win those first couple of games and you really start flowing. Right. So I think in the Carolina series, same thing. They played each other eight times. There, some of the players even said, I think it was game two, uh, the word leaked out after even some of the players said, this is kind of boring. I mean, it was a chess match in the first two games. I think the lightning to me, the way I watched the rest of the series, three, four, five, six was they amped up the physical play. Uh, Carolina is not an in your face team. They're not a run you over, punch you in the mouth kind of team. They're, you know, logistics speed, really well coached, but that emotional level, the lightning, I think manufactured more and dragged them into some stuff because I think it made them go. You have to know what makes you go. And, and I think that was a level that the Lightning didn't have two years ago and three years ago and maybe even four years ago. And one of the biggest differences that they did win last year is their makeup change, and they were good at that. I go back to the Washington loss, not, not the Columbus one, the Washington one, where they got pushed around, and they knew it. And it took them a while to get the team together to a different level. They weren't going to get pushed around again. Brian, you were in a unique position because – you won right away, right? Like you come in your first two games, you win, then you win in year two and year three. And so you kind of learn what it takes to win. So I don't know if it was it even more frustrating after that because of it, whereas the Tampa Bay team now that you're the analyst on, like they went to the cup final in 15, they lost in the conference final twice. Then of course the Columbus, like they, they endured a very different path and, and then they figured it out. And, you know, the Goudreaux and the Maroons and the, the Coleman seem to gel with their high end skill guys. So you look at them and I, and I agree with you watching that game that they just decided, nah, we're just going to start to be more physical and Carolina couldn't match that. New York seems to have a little bit more, especially with their Martin Sezikis line and, you know, Mayfield, like they've got some more, but the power play, you talked about like, it's 41%. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. stupid to be that good in the postseason. <laughs> how can the, like, can the Islanders slow them down? And you were a guy who played on the penalty kill. So how would you try to slow Tampa's power play down? How can you do it as a penalty killer? I'm glad you said that because I use that term all the time, stupid good. It is. It just, it's, it's, the, it's the best way to describe when it just goes beyond everything else. Uh, again, you, you have to have a feel for it. Um, uh, let me go back to the Carolina series. You know, their, their power kill, which became, you know, their, their mantra and the way they played. Everybody was like, wow, watch these guys kill penalties. The Lightning had trouble first two games. Then they got a feel for it. Then they started picking it apart and they did a hell of a job the rest of the series. So again, it sort of proves my point about feel and, and the adjustments that get made. Yeah, it's really about picking your poison. For me, if I pick my poison, I would take away the two sides. Stammer shot, which obviously is one of the best in the league. He and Ovechkin are the best at it. Um, but Kucherov, everything goes through Kucherov, always. So the more you jump him more quickly and then take your chances with other guys, and that's saying a lot because you got Braden Point in the middle, you got Kalorn at the net, you got Stammer, and then you got Victor Hedman. But they always want to go through Cooch. So if it was me, I would be shading over there and running him and really get him upset because he has a temper. And if you get his temper going, he's proven that in the past. In the Columbus series, he got kicked out, remember? Retaliation penalty. Um, but – I think you have to smother him as much as possible and make like Stammer handles the puck well for sure, but he's the shooter. So you reverse that, 
right? Make him handle the puck a little bit more, take his shot away. Uh, it's hard to orchestrate all these things. I get it because then they get it to the top to Victor Hedman and he walks right down the middle and he scored four goals, I believe, against the Islanders last year. I think what's going to happen against the Islanders is the Lightning are going to have to match their intensity uh, because this is going to be a revenge series. I don't care what they say. I mean, if it was me, I'm going, I want revenge. They have six new players that I, I counted out. Six is a pretty big difference. The Lightning only have two uh, that weren't there last year, Savard and Colton. But six guys is a lot. And one of them, look at Pajo. Pajo's been awesome. He's got 13 points. He's leading the team. And you got Paul Mary and, and on and on. So you can't look at it as this is the same team. And no, they haven't seen each other all year. And one of the things I've been thinking about before the playoffs even started is, yes, the first two rounds are going to be hell because you've played eight times and there's no secrets. Um, but now I think that you're playing teams you haven't seen all year. I think games one and two now are really important, maybe even more so than, than uh, the first two rounds. Because if you can establish your game and make them make adjustments, you steal two games early on, I think, it could take another game or so for that team that's down to make the necessary adjustments. I think getting off to a good start and playing your game and going a hundred miles an hour early on and sticking to your game plan is going to be even more important in the conference finals, right across the board and in the Stanley cup finals. And, and lastly, Brian, you know, of course, Hedman and McDonough get a lot of ink and, and even Sergachev, but Eric Cernak is you know, six foot three, he's 230 pounds. He's really mobile. You played the position. What impresses you most about Cernak? And because he's on such a good team, is he maybe underappreciated on how good he is? Not on the team, he's not, but around the league, certainly is. Yeah, because there's too many other guys. And he's, he's, uh, he's kind of a, a shy guy, but he's, he's fall from, far from a wallflower. That's for sure. You get him out on the ice. I love that guy. He is awesome. Uh, his nickname is Drago from the Rocco, uh, from the Rocky yeah. movies, right? Cause he kind of looks like him, but he's got that look too. And he's got that look, believe me, you want to mess with him. He's got that thousand yard stare that he's going to burn two holes right through your forehead, you know, and, and that you get up close, you just get that look of, uh, Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Nice to see you. Um, and he can grab you. He is strong as a bear. Um, and he's a real throwback in many ways. He skates way better than you think. He shoots way better than you think. He's got confidence now offensively to move up in the play. And, you know, so he's getting some points. He made an unreal play last game, the fake shot from the point, diagonal to Palat and Palat to, to Braden Point, who had a tap in at the net. But it started with Chernak. And when you see plays like that start to come off his stick, you know that he's going to another level. He doesn't mess around in front of the net. He and McDonough are the shutdown pair. They went back together again for the playoffs. Uh, he stands up at the blue line, punishes you along the wall and in front of the net, and he'll, he'll block a 100-mile-an-hour shot from Ovechkin time and time again, not once, five times if he has to. Yeah, I'm glad we're giving Chernoff his props because Chernak, excuse me, because you, you're right. You talk to the Lightning players, they rave about this guy. But I wanted to ask you, Brian, about uh, David Savard. You know, what's what's your assessment of, of how he's played in Tampa? Um, I think he's done pretty well. He's gotten better. I think it's been a process. It's been difficult. He has played with all three of the top left side guys. 
started off with Hedman. Um, when he first came, their very first game, that was a disaster. That was one of the worst games of the year for the entire Lightning team in, in Nashville. And Hedman had his worst game of the year. He got caught up the ice five times, I'll bet, and just hung out Savard to dry. I think there were at least two two-on-ones, maybe maybe three two-on-ones for Savard. A couple other three-on-twos were the other guy he was with was a forward because Hedy was still trying to get back. It was just one of those nights. So it was like, wow, welcome to the team sort of thing. He must have been thinking, what's going on? So they switched him to McDonough. Hedman's difficult to play with. He's I think he's the best overall defenseman in the game, but you let him roam and you let him do what he can because he can't, right? He's a great skater. It was an off night. So they put him with McDonough, who's a classic guy, skate forwards up, up the ice, skate backwards, back, receiving the rush, classic style, Savard's classic style. So they played together a lot that settled them down. But I think he still had trouble getting used to the way the Lightning play, the tempo that they play with, their breakouts, how they move the puck. Very different. Then I think what happened was when they went into the playoffs, they moved them off of McDonough because they knew they were going to match up against Barkov. And you don't give Barkov the blue line. You give his line the blue line, you are in trouble already. Savard, the way they played in Columbus – he doesn't hold the blue line. I started thinking about that. I never asked the coaches, but I don't think they would have said it anyway. My observation was they moved them off that matchup and put Chernak back with McDonough because they hold the blue line. They start at the red line. They shut you down at the red line, then at their own blue line. They don't let you in easy. And I think that was part of the criteria. Savard's used to backing in and getting support in the middle the way they played in Columbus. Keep it to the outside. Lightning didn't want to do that, especially against that line. So I think Savard sort of slowly played his way to the third pairing, which is not a slouch playing with Sergachev, but it allowed him to play a little more his way and not be involved in that matchup as much. And I think slowly but surely he's gotten better. He does block shots, good penalty killer, good in the corners, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's still room. I, I don't think he's as comfortable as he was ever in Columbus. But that takes a while. It's hard to be traded at the trade deadline and fit in, especially on defense. Yeah, we, and we've seen that a lot. You get a trade deadline acquisition that comes in and can never really get comfortable, always thinking about, you know, what's next, trying to play for that next contract. And, and sometimes that's hard to, to have that all work out in short order. Uh, last one for me, and we'll play a little rapid fire. Nikita Kucherov, maybe a dumb question, top five player in the world for me, but... Did you, did you see him coming in and making the immediate impact that he has in these playoffs? This year? Yeah, yes. it didn't surprise, I can honestly say it didn't surprise me at all. Before he played his first game, you know, our, our local people here are asking me all the time in interviews. I said, don't give it a second thought. Hmm. He's maniacal, maniacal about his game. He has one of those plastic sheets of ice and an NHL net in his garage. And I have visions of him at three in the morning when he can't sleep out there shooting pucks. And I'll bet you he was doing that as soon as he was able to, you know, in his recovery. He thinks the game at that level, you know, all the cliches you want. He is amazing to watch. He's got unreal skills. He goes into a trance. I watch him virtually every warm-up. He gets over on that right-wing face-off circle where he lives on the power play, takes eight or nine pucks, 
and he sort of has the same dance. He just, he's barely moving, but he's moving his shoulders and he's, and he, and he slings it at the net. Sometimes he's looking in the middle. He goes through all these things that he knows are going to happen in the game. Huge visualization guy. You can tell gets on the bench and pulls the tablet out with Braden point virtually every shift for the last three years. I talked to Braden a little while ago and I said, how much has he changed your game? He said, unreal. He said, I just listened to him and he points to things and you go here. This is what they did. He has that kind of mind like Tom Brady reading a defense, only he's on the move, right? And trying to orchestrate. That's the difference in hockey. Brady's back in the pocket, uh, but he's on the move. The happiest guy on the team was Braden Point to get Kucherov back because I thought Pointer was a little tired at the end of the year because he had the puck all the time and he's skating the daylight 100 miles an hour. Kuch plays at actually a pretty slow speed. He moves the puck fast, but he slows things down. So now Point was able to dart in and out and, and go and give and go and not have it all the time. And Kuch getting all that you know attention freed up Braden Point like crazy. And you could see Braden's energy level immediately just go up like this. So he is important to everybody. On the power play, he is already two steps ahead makes incredible passes. And, you know, sometimes I wish he'd shoot even more than he does because he's got an unreal one-time shot. And Risha, he hides it behind his back foot and slings it. He knows his blade. He's got a blade like this, right? And so he gets it behind his left foot and just slings it almost like high line. And it's so hard for the goaltenders, I think, to pick up the release point. He scores some incredible goals with the wrist shot. Brian, I love your analysis. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get your uh, thoughts on, on rapid fire. We like to have a little bit of fun, some, uh, some fun-hearted questions, and then a few that are going to make you think. So are uh, you ready to go? The only rule, you got to answer every question. Okay. All right. So, um, Brian Ingram, uh, when you won a Stanley Cup, and maybe now it's different, but uh, what is your cocktail of choice? Is it still the same, or has it evolved from uh, 1980 to 2020? Uh, it's evolved. I was just pretty much beer drinker then. I'd rather go with wine now. Okay. Um, which Stanley Cup celebration parade was better, 78 or 79, and how come? Uh, 79, because I think I appreciated it more. Uh, it's such a whirlwind. Um, and I think after you've won the first one, uh, you appreciate everything that's going on. Your eyes are a little more wide open instead of this sort of flurry of events and everything hitting you. But they're all pretty darn good. Yeah, I would think so. Do you know Scotty Bowman's actual first name? Uh, William Scott Bowman. Oh, nice. All right. I like it. Um Bernie Boom Boom Jeffreyon, because uh, you had like three different coaches early in your career in Montreal. He lasted a very short time. How come? He he really didn't have any strategy. He just believed, and pretty much he was saying it. I, not, he just oh, putting the lines together, open the door, and you know change the lines. I think he was just over his head. He he's he was not he's not a he was not a great coach. Uh, I think that was true. Um, and uh, he found out sort of the hard way. Uh, obviously, a Hall of Fame player, tremendous knowledge of the game, but it's different being a coach, isn't it? Just didn't work out for us. 
You played with a lot of great players over the years. You only get to pick one of these two defensemen to play with. Phil Housley or Al McInnes? Uh, I'll go with Chopper, Al McInnes. Yeah. Uh, great. He, he could do everything. You know, I mean, Phil could dance everywhere uh, and had great, great skill. But Al, easy to read, easy to play with, unreal shot, great defender, everything. I go with Al. Sorry, Phil. That, hey, that's okay. Now, you're in, <laughs> you're in a market that's very unique because you have elite players at all the positions. You got an elite goalie, an elite defenseman, lots of elite forwards. But I'm going to give you Kucherov, Hedman, and Vasilevsky. You only get one to start a franchise with. Who are you picking? Vasilevsky, always start with the goalie. Yeah, you can have all kinds of talent up front. You don't have the stopper. You don't have it yet. Vasilevsky. Okay, I like it. Now, over your uh, right shoulder, we see you were showing us before we started. That's a, that's not the Stanley Cup. That's actually the old uh, a miniature Wales trophy, which I yep. love. Do you have the trophy from the Emory Edge Award that you won in 1983 for top plus minus? Uh, no, I, I don't even know if I got a trophy for it. Wow. If I if I if I did. Yeah, if I did, I don't have it. No. Okay, so you so you didn't get anything for winning that award I, at eighty two. No, no, I don't. Not, no, not that I, not that I remember. No. <laughs> okay, all right. I was always curious about that. I know they don't hand that award out anymore, but I was just curious if you. Yeah. I love that miniature uh, little boat. So you've got was that you got three of those Wales trophies, and then you got the Stan, the mini Stanley Cup. Yeah, Stanley. yeah. They they did give me a, and. I have the three cups as well. They gave me the miniature Stanley Cup, although officially, as I said, I never got my name on on the uh, on the main trophy, the big the big cup, the one that counts. Uh, but the team was very nice to me, and they gave me one of the miniatures. So I have the three miniature Stanley Cups and the three Prince of Wales trophies. Yeah. Now, do you have three rings or two rings? Two rings. Yeah, because the rings go with the if you're on the cup or not. Yeah, and so I, I kind of missed out on that one. Uh, we. Calder Cup, because we, uh, we, we won the Calder Cup both my years, too. So it was officially two Calder Cups and two Stanley Cups, my first four years pro. So I thought it was always going to be like that the whole rest <laughs> of my career. And apparently it's not. How often do you wear your Stanley Cup ring? Uh, pretty often. More often in the winter. I don't wear it much in the summer because playing golf and everything. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take it on and off and just throw it in my pocket sort of thing. I'm pretty careful pretty careful with them. But what I do like about them is they are, are so, the size where you can wear them. And they're <laughs> certainly very noticeable, but, and you know, it's a nice problem to have for the guys now over the last 10 or 15 years, things are gigantic and not many players wear them very much. And unfortunately I've read where some guys have them in a bank vault. I'm like, really? Are you kidding? Like, I know you don't want to lose them or have them stolen, but I mean, this is what you play for. Uh, look at it every day, buddy. Come on. Those lightning ones are incredible. Like, I've never seen anything. How could you oh, even fit that on your finger? It is unreal. I know. I don't think they're going to be wearing them too much. But like I said, it's a nice problem to have. But at least have it out on display in your house. It's typical of uh, Jeff and Penny Vinnick. That's for sure. Uh, they incorporate it and they think of everything and they left no stone unturned and especially financially because I, I, it's, it's incredible. Those rings are unreal.
You could just put it on a chain around your neck if you had to. I go old school there. Back. They did that for the wives, actually. That's exactly what they did. They took the ring and they made it smaller and, and gave them a, a, a something to wear. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. And I think, you know, a lot of teams over the years have done that, you know, variations of things to give to, to the wives and girlfriends or, or, you know, some guys give to their mothers or, or whatever. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's a, it's a family thing, no doubt about that. And it's something, one of the things I, it's funny, I just, over the years, I observe when you talk to players, especially when, when, uh, when the playoffs come around, they first start, when you ask players about, you know, winning and trying to win it, what do they mention? Do they say, I want to win a ring or I want my name on the cup? Which one do they say first? I kind of find that interesting. I don't, I don't know. Over the years, I think I hear more guys say, I want a ring. Um, but it's just sort of one of those things. Hmm, I kind of keep track in my head mentally of uh, what a guy says first. What's the most important thing to him? Well, yeah, the ring I get, you get in your house, you can see it all the time, yeah, right? Name exactly. on the cup is, is great if you go to the Hall of Fame. I agree. Yeah, uh, exactly. Nice. But Some the guys, cup is you know. forever, though. You can lose a ring. Yeah, no, that's and that's true, too. And that's why I find it interesting. Like, what, what goes through a guy's mind first? But I think most of the time, guys say ring then. Well, Brian, this has been great. We really appreciate it. I know you're obviously picking Tampa to come out of, I guess it is technically the East because they're representing the Prince of Wales, but uh, Vegas and your old, your original Montreal Canadiens. Oh, uh, is, oh. Are you pulling out your old Habs jersey for that series or what? Well, I guess I still can for, for one more series, right? In case if they end up against them in the Stanley Cup finals, yeah, that'll be interesting. And I'm sure I'll be getting a lot of phone calls about that one. But we can't put the cart before the horse here. Good for them. Uh, terrific that uh, that they they did what they did to to Toronto and that rivalry between Toronto and Montreal. It's just never going to die, right? Um, the two cities and of course the two franchises. So good for them. Really uh, surprising for sure. Was I surprised? Yeah. Did I think Toronto was going to win? Yeah. Did I think Winnipeg was going to win? Yeah, I did. Um, so, you know, good on them. They, they have that look of, of the 93, uh, Montreal Canadiens. Brian, we really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the series coming up and, and probably another return trip to the Stanley cup final. Well, let's hope so. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys uh, kind of stirring some of the memories up here. And, uh, um, I certainly enjoy this time of year. Like we all do looking forward to this Islander series and hopefully another one after that, maybe against Montreal. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you. Brian Engel, man, what a great storyteller. I love it. Imagine just coming into one of the greatest dynasties ever and you find your way in there and, and he played with a lot of great players. And yeah, I just love this analysis about a coach, but then also just about the current state of the Tampa Bay lightning. Like he knows that team and he knows the players and um, they're, they're going to be a tough out. There's no question. Just the insight on a guy like Kucherov, for instance, the tiles and the net in his garage and, and how the energy level for Braden point came back. I mean, spot on. And by the way, I love the honesty. I, I mentioned in the intro, his name etched on the Stanley Cup three times. No, no, no. It's only two. I love that he pointed that out because it says a lot about him. Yeah, yeah. Great guy. Uh, let's get to uh, buy or sell now with uh, producer Ties, who welcome in. And he's got, he's got one of those sweet new looking uh, uh, rundown uh, hoodies yes. on, I think, today. Hey, eh, Ty? Yeah, they finally hooked me up with some gear for the show here. I'm excited. This is an incredibly comfortable hoodie as well. It's, it is. It's, great. it's really soft. I yeah. still haven't gotten one, guys. It's in the mail, Frank. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, we, we, 
Priorities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, buy or sell is brought to you by Jock Market, the hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. That promo code DFO50 gets you a $50 deposit bonus. Uh, we're running low on time here, so I'm putting a clock on you guys. Max 30 seconds in answer, but our first one, we got a big goaltending matchup in that Vegas-Montreal series. If you could buy stock of only one of them, you buy in on Carey Price or Marc-Andre Fleury heading into this series. Jason, I'll let you go first. Oh God, this is, you know what? I, I made a joke earlier. Whoever wins this series should get to be the starter for Canada, at the 2022 <laughs> Olympics. Cause I think it comes down to him. I am, God, I'm going to go flurry because I think Vegas wins the series. All right. Hmm. I think I have to go price. Um, look price. You can't argue with his numbers in these playoffs. They've been fantastic. Flurry has been good in these playoffs, but not, outstanding i think there's been a couple nights that you know and a couple goals in certain nights that he'd like to have back and we just haven't seen that from price so purely on the goaltending price number two vegas and tampa they are the two favorites in the betting universe to win the stanley cup this season they're one and two on the odds board whose stock do you buy more as a stanley cup favorite vegas or tampa frank hmm. i I'm going to buy Vegas because I think the odds the odds are going to be a little better. Uh, if I'm placing a wager, it would be on Vegas. Well, I, I'll say this. like Vegas has their massive favorite against minus Montreal, 450. Like 81% yeah. or something ridiculous. And Tampa but, would be against the Islanders as well, right? Yeah, yeah. it's not oh, quite I, as big, but they're big favorites as well, yeah. yeah. I, I'm taking Tampa. I, I picked Tampa at the start of the second round. Like Once I saw them with Kucherov in the Florida series, I was like, I'll take them against the field. I just think they're too deep everywhere. And they've got, Vas as good as Flurry and Price are, Vasilevsky is better than both of them. So I'll take Tampa. I, by the way, I do think Tampa wins. But like I said, betting, if I was going to buy it would yeah, be on a, a better Vegas. odds team, Vegas. Number three, yeah, we had the two one seeds fall out, Carolina and Colorado. And I'll even throw Boston in this conversation just for the sake of it. But a similar question I've asked you guys before, if you could buy stock on one of those teams heading into next season, uh, which one would you buy out of Colorado, Carolina, or Boston? Jason? Oh, give me big money on Colorado. I, yeah. I, I still McKinnon, Rantanen, you know, Kale McCarr, he's unreal. I think, you know what, if they get Eric Johnson back healthy, they've still got the calf space because they're best players in an absolute bargain. I know Pasternak and Marshan are too, but they're older. And uh, I like Colorado moving forward. I think Colorado is just entering kind of their prime time to be a legit cup contender. So I'll take Colorado. Speaking of just entering their prime time, how about the Carolina Hurricanes? You know, I, I know their defense might look different. Not sure if Dougie Hamilton's coming back, but Rod Brindamore mentioned you lose. Every time you lose, you learn something. And that team, they're going to be good for the next eight years. That's how good that team is and how young they are. I think they're going to be right in the mix to, to take a big leap forward next year. Speaking of the Carolina Hurricanes, I'm going to say Dougie Hamilton will be back in Carolina next season. Frank, you buying or selling on that? Selling. Okay. I don't think they're going to get there. I think Dougie Hamilton's number, it's, it's steep, and I don't think they were close. And Carolina is going to have to move multi-million dollars to get to where um, Dougie Hamilton's camp, I think, believes they are. I'm with you. And which makes it very curious on where Dougie Hamilton's going to end yeah. up. And also who's going to trade for Seth Jones. You got two really good defensemen available this summer.
young right shot demon are one of the hardest to find assets in the NHL. And there's two of them on the market this off season. Uh, finally, we'll stop in Boston where Taylor Hall said today that, you know, he's not so much concerned about money. He's concerned about fit. And that leads me to believe he'll be back in Boston. Jason, you buying or selling on Halsey back in Beantown. You know what? He's been pretty upfront. Uh, you know, him and the Bruins were close to getting a deal done last off season and, and it didn't happen. He went on the, on the one year and then, you know, ended up in Boston anyway. I, I believe Boston feels like, you know, their window is still open with, with Bergeron uh, around, of course, now Pasternak and Marchand, but you know, Marchand's getting a little bit older. So I think Taylor Hall will sign there. And I don't think it's going to be a long-term deal though. I, I could see a three-year deal for Taylor Hall in Boston. I could see him coming back to Boston, so I'll buy that part, but I'm not buying anything else that Taylor Hall is selling. You lost me last summer when you said it's all about winning. Go back and read all the clips from the time he was with Arizona and New Jersey. I want to go to a team with a chance to win. No, you took the money and you took the $8 million, which was the highest offer on the table to go to the Buffalo Sabres. End of story. Fair enough. Uh, There you go. That is buy or sell brought to you by Jock Market, whether it's hockey or baseball or golf with the U.S. Open coming up. Jock Market has it all, and that promo code DFO50 will give you a jump start with a $50 deposit bonus. You could uh, you could get uh, Vladdy Guerrero. I saw Tyler has the uh, the Blue Jays in the back. Vladdy oh, yeah. Guerrero is absolutely killing it right now. If you want to buy stock in any player, that might be the guy. And it's just, it's just going to keep going up and up. Uh, Frank, I, I know you got a big day to get to uh, your young daughter has a preschool graduation. So uh, ho- hopefully, uh, you know, try bring a Kleenex, bring a Kleenex. Yeah. I'm sure, sure it'll be emotional for you and mom. So uh, enjoy that. And uh, that's another edition of the uh, podcast. Big shout out to uh, roasty coffee. Get your uh, roasty coffee. If uh, for all of you uh, Java drinkers, you'll need some. It's fantastic. So you can check it out uh, on behalf of Ty. Frank, have yourself a good one. Uh, look forward to it quickly. Who are your picks? Who's going to meet in the Stanley cup final? I got Vegas and Tampa, and it's going to be an epic clash. I, I would agree. I'll say this, though. The Montreal Canadiens are going to make that a much closer series than the than the odds line well, are picking. I was going to say, the better question might actually be which team has a better chance to upset and win the series. Is it the Islanders or is it Montreal? Oh, I'll take Montreal. Interesting. I think I would take the Islanders. Ooh, so we'll see. Yeah. I just think price and the defense in Montreal is going to be a real matchup against Vegas like that. That's going to be a physical war. You got a lot of big physical forwards in Vegas, you know, stone plays hard and Reeves and carrier and tuck and just the size on the defense. You made a really good point uh, at the start of the pod about Jeff Petrie's health on his finger. So that's definitely a storyline to watch. So I look forward to it. Frank, have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.